Welcome to the Mad Ones. I'm your great hater of Christmas and every holiday, not explicitly commanded in the Hebrew Scriptures host, Cam Harless. And with me tonight is your favorite, definitely an elf because she's almost shorter than Danny DeVito hostess, Miss Jessica Green. And the only good thing to ever come out of California, your favorite Ammon Farmer, Mr. Whip and Spoon, is joining me as a guest co-host as well. Uh, welcome, welcome back to the show, guys. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Uh, I am stoked to have this conversation because this is actually uh, last year. I know, I know Jessica knows this. I was looking to have this very conversation with, and I couldn't find the person that I needed to have this conversation with. And so it's a year late, but I'm, we're finally doing it. So I'm stoked about this. But before we do that, uh, I need to let you know this show is 100% brought to you by fans and patrons. So hit like, subscribe, and share the show with your friends. There are all sorts of topics we've covered. Uh, share them with someone who might gain something from them. Also, join Patreon for the occasional early episode. Uh, today, we're starting out something new, extended episodes, uh, what that we're, I'm going to be calling uh, Last Call. And I share the show. I, I went back in my, my brain. Uh, and you'll get my eternal gratitude. So hit up patreon.com slash the mad ones. And uh, if you would like to support me, I would like it if you would support me, but I mean, you know, whatever. Um, if you'd like to support me overall, another way to do that is going to wearethemadones.com slash store, and you can get something with a logo or some of our Christmas stuff uh, and rep us everywhere you, you are, anywhere you are. Uh, so let's get to the, the main show. Joining us tonight is the bane of bad arguments, the slayer of unsighted sources, the annihilator of inadequate ideas, and an apologist making his name on TikTok. He's the great fear of those who tout the old heresies. Please welcome to the show Michael Jones, a.k.a. Inspiring Philosophy. What's up, Hey, hey Mike. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. I'm, I, like I said, this is – so I have been annoyed – with obviously the name of this episode and everything I've said so far is a bait and switch. If you're here thinking I'm going to trash Christmas, you're, you're getting the opposite. Um, <laughs> but and uh, you don't know Cam very well, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, I mean, literally it's Santa Claus with a knife. If you, if you didn't, if you bought that, I feel sorry for you. Why does he I'm have not a knife? Surprised. I don't know, dude. I was looking up evil Santa and like the, the other things had like uh, satanic stuff. And I was just like, I really like this knife. This pulp, uh, pulp mm -hmm. knife photo with him carrying a woman off. Like, what? Got a good what feel. is this? I love it. Um, <laughs> but no, when when I was like twenty or twenty two ish, I dated a girl who was who called herself a Seventh Day Baptist, and her and her family did not celebrate Christmas at all. And first off, I was like, I didn't know Seventh Day Baptist existed. Uh, secondly, why not Christmas? And so I think that may have been. The first time I heard uh, that uh, verse out of Jeremiah uh, taken out of context and just destroyed in front of me. Um, so since that point, I've, I've wanted to have this conversation because I've done, you know, independent research as to why these claims are silly. Um, but, you know, I, I, I wanted to find someone who's actually done the work. And you have several videos on YouTube. Um I think uh, there's a there's a documentary. You'll have to remind me of the name of the documentary. But Jim Staley is the name <laughs> of the man who made the documentary, and like it started off bad and didn't get better from there. So yeah, uh, I that, would just that doc yeah that documentary is like 15 years old, I think, or something. But it was like the first thing I heard that said, was arguing against Christmas like all those years ago. And I was like, this is just bad on so many levels. And it started me on, it was one of the things, not the only thing, but one of the things that really started me on 
researching this whole issue because I was just mortified by the fear mongering in it and like, oh, you can't celebrate Christmas because you might be worshiping Nimrod. I'm like, that's not how worship works. <laughs> right. Well, not not just that, but like, uh, so I mean, I I would love to like go through some of the different points that he's that he made in that. And uh, I'm sure Whip has some things that he he was like, I don't see how this is wrong that I'd love for him to, to pick up. Or, you know, Jessica's the only one who didn't watch the documentary. So she's a clean slate. So we get to watch her reaction to these claims. Um, but I will say. It's intentional. The uh, <laughs> name of the documentary we're talking about, for the record, is Truth or Tradition, Passion for Truth Ministries. That's it. That's the one. And I will note, he's actually coming out with Truth or, Truth or Tradition 2.0 next month and Ooh. i have a friend of mine who is fluent in latin and greek and he's catholic and him and i are going to respond to it on my channel probably when it comes out because we're not letting the second one get by that easily <laughs> is he a that... friendly guy will he entertain debate jim yeah i hope so i okay. i i've talked to him in private about it i told him i'm gonna do it if he comes out with it and he's going full forward so all right you ask for it but we'll be ready for him I like that. I, well, I think what I think is amazing is as I watched the documentary, I picked up a lot of facts that came from what a pamphlet was it, from the 1850s by uh, Isaac Hislop. Is that his name? No, it's uh, Alexander Hislop. Alexander Hislop called the two Babylons. Okay. Uh, which, you know, I, I, I have it as a PDF and it said pamphlet. So I just called it a pamphlet, it, but it is longer than, than a pamphlet. I remember when I, when I started reading, it, I was like, there are way too many pages for this to be a pamphlet, but that's what they called it. Um, yeah, it's a book. Yeah. Uh, but it was called the two Babylons and it's lit the, the entire book. The basis of it is a polemic against Roman Catholicism. Basically. And it's just riddled with problems, but it's so sensationalist. People just sort of picked it up and ran with it, even though one of Hislop's own student, I think his name is Ralph Woodthrow. I can't remember how, if that's his exact name, but uh, he basically debunked it in that day and age. But no one remembers that. Everyone remembers Hislop's book and they just keep going with it. Yeah. So well, well, it's, let's it's a book written. It's published by the Presbyterian Free Church of Scotland in 1853. There's no chance it's going to have anything like anything good to say about Catholics coming out of <laughs> no. Scotland yeah. in the mid 1800s. No. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, but yeah. I mean, Ralph Woodrow basically debunked it, you know, shortly after it came out. And he was originally a disciple, you could say, of Hislop. And, but yeah, to this day, it still is a sensationalist piece of crap that in, in gets all these people going. Uh, because it's just, it's just so like out there. Like, oh yeah, the Catholic Church is continuing Babylonian worship and Clearly, and no one understands what the Babylonians believe when they read this book. Um, so let's let's start. Um, did you say the rapture? I was going to ask a question real quick and derail this before we even get started. Wasn't the rapture like written like written about by some preacher who kind of just made up some shit and made up a date and like got his flock to go stand on a hill somewhere and then the date happened and he's like, oh, so, I got my math wrong. That's Sorry, I forgot to carry to... something. Yeah, what you're referring to is the Millerite movement, and Miller basically said that he thought Jesus was returning in 1842 sure. and then 1843. It turned out he was wrong. Spoiler. Uh, and then out of that movement came the Seven-Day Adventists, and they believe Jesus did return, but it was a spiritual return. He just came to sort of set up the spiritual tabernacle and temple. And the prophetess Ellen G. White came out of that movement, and they started that whole church. And then eventually David Koresh. 
on down the line. Whole other crazy, (laughs) crazy episode. Um, But I've I've mentioned um, I've mentioned this uh, already. But there's the the verse that people use to say that you should not have Christmas trees, which is Jeremiah ten, two and three. Um, which I, I'm, I'm actually, I, I'm on the net Bible translation at the moment, which makes it so clear that it's stupid. Um, let me, let me, let me try to find one that's, that's slightly less clear, uh, so that, you know, they, they, they their argument sounds like it exists. Um, let's see. <laughs> I could really use the ESV. Try, try to steel ESV. man it. Well, uh, that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do by, yeah bring you trying to bring in a different uh ver- translation of the bible uh so uh, jeremiah 10 uh 2 uh, learn not the way of the nations nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens because the nations are dismayed at them <clears throat> for the customs of the people are vanity a tree from the forest is cut down and worked with uh worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman they decorate it with silver and gold they fasten it in ha- with hammer and nails so that it cannot move and that's the couple verses that people say that's saying you can't have a Christmas tree. That just off the bat, it, that doesn't actually strike me as a Christmas tree at all. What does it, it strike like you of? A, a staff. Maybe that's been carved on or metal or jewels have been set into it. Um, well, if it's it's an idol. And it says it yeah. more, like I said, in the, in, the, in the net Bible, it says it more clearly. But when it says they decorate it with silver and gold, you're looking at gilding it putting layers of gold and silver yeah. it's talking about making actual there's idols. a woodworking <laughs> element to it which suggests right. you cut the limbs off too so when was the first time you heard this being used this way uh can i call you mike yeah it's fine yeah yeah, yeah I think uh, and travel witnesses on my doorstep uh, years years ago um <laughs> and it's like I just asked, I'm like, well, just keep reading. And so I said, read verse five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10. And they're going down and they're getting to verse 11. And I'm like, all right, oh, that's enough there. Uh, I think if we read the context, this is talking about crafting an idol. It says they're scarecrows. They're, they're like scarecrows. It says they can't speak. They have to be carried. Don't be afraid of them for they can't do evil. Uh, they can't walk. You know, this is, yeah, they can't walk. There is not a scholar alive out there who thinks this is about decorating pine trees or Christmas trees. <laughs> I mean, no one. The only people who make this claim are laymen on the internet who have not done research. Every scholar out there will tell you this is about crafting an idol because Christmas trees didn't even show up until the 1500s. Hmm. You have something, Whip? <laughs> Don't know. Sorry, I was just qualifying myself as a layman who just takes what he reads on the internet is face value <laughs> just believe everything i read on the internet that's why i've been catfished like 17 times go ahead <laughs> but that's what's fun that's what's funny is because i remember the first time i read it like i read idol and like immediately i didn't have to read down further i was just like well it, what's he doing with the x because you don't do anything with a tree a christmas tree after that and also the idea that there were christmas trees in the time of Jeremiah of any sort is a bizarre claim in and of itself. Um, so uh, what was your first, uh, so you, you heard it from the Jehovah's witnesses, you oh, read yeah. it out of, out of the context. Um, and so a lot of times, once you prove that that's not what the Bible says, um, they typically follow up with some claim from a different religion. 
So yeah, they'll they'll claim it was somehow used in paganism, uh, and what they're doing is a correlation causation fallacy. Uh, you know, it's like this. It's like, look, isn't Jesus called the Lion of the Tribe of Judah? Yes, but in in ancient Egypt there was a a war deity that was a goddess that was also a lion. Does that mean when you call Jesus you know, the Lion of the Tribe of Judah, you're actually calling him a pagan deity? No, because mm -hmm. correlation is not causation. Just because pagans at times worship trees. That doesn't mean that's where the Christmas tree came from. So what they're doing is they're just saying, oh, well, pagans didn't like trees. Well, you know, you know, well, you can't, you know, use, use it because uh, pagans have used trees in the past. And it, it's a ridiculous argument because I can just appeal, appeal to Isaiah 41, 19 uh, and 20, which says, I will put in the wilderness, the plain, the pine, the acacia. Uh, these will be a symbol to the Lord of Israel. So God says the pine tree, along with other trees, are a symbol of him. So, okay. Right then and there, clearly God can use trees, even though pagans have used trees. Right. Well, and it's like it, it, what, what you look at um, is there's a lot of subversion within other religion religions and things like that from earlier truth. I mean, that's and also the, you have to consider that, um, especially in the like we're not even talking specifically about the Semitic regions, but they, they like to bring it back to Babylon. Um, but they'll also go as far as like Jim Staley went as far as the Norse gods and tried to make Odin one of the favorite gods in Rome. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I what? know well, it's, what's weird is that they would have equated Jupiter or Zeus with Thor more because that was they did syncretism back then. So they equated yeah. Zeus with Baal Haddad. They equated him with Thor because why they're thunder deities and Zeus Jupiter was a thunder deity. Right. Well, and and that's that's that was one of the first things of his documentary that completely threw me off was not. Well, first off, he said that Nimrod became Baal and that Baal was a sun god. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> well, you're you're wrong on, on I, what on those two things completely because Baal um, was a a a god of 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 storm and vegetation of fertility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was never a sun god. No, that, that was that, that was Anu. No, that was uh, Anu is the sky deity. The uh, sun oh, deity okay. is Shamash or Utu. Uh, Shamash, Shamash, he shows up in the Baal cycle as well. He's the sun god. Uh, but Baal is not even his name. Baal is a yeah. title that means lord. You can refer to your husband as Baal even in the ancient context. Uh, so, but what happened sure was, is, oh, yeah. <laughs> But uh, what happened was, is because they didn't, they thought the name Hadad was so holy, they stopped pronouncing it. Sort of like the God of Israel as well. They stopped pronouncing it as the divine name. And they just started calling him Lord, which is Baal. It just became synonymous with his name. But yeah, he was a storm deity, a warrior deity. Uh, and yeah. so, yeah, there, there's no evidence to think Baal was ever a sun deity. That's just blatantly wrong. Well, and the, the other, what was the other, let, uh, let me try to think of the other claims at the beginning of that. Um, one of them being that uh, it, that Christmas is on December 25th because that is also the birthday of Mithra. Um, and yeah. Mithra was born of a virgin and had 12 disciples and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting here and correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, but wasn't Mithra born from a rock? Like just he emerged from a rock? Well, in some legends, yeah. Uh, in some legends, we don't, you know, there's not a lot of records of what the Mithraic cult in Rome even believed about him. Uh, we all get it from secondhand sources. But yeah, the only legend we have of his birth is that he's born out of a rock. And he didn't have 12 disciples. He wasn't born of a virgin. He wasn't born on December 25th. That's just, it's just wrong. I mean, there's no other way to put it. There's no evidence in any early text that says Mithra's birthday was celebrated on December 25th. 
Yeah. I mean, well, and, and well, there were other ones. It's like one of the, the claims that I've kind of seen across all of the different uh, little claims they make is that, oh, well, he, he this guy did miracles. And it's like, what, which deities didn't? <laughs> yeah. I mean, technically, every deity has the power to do miracles. So, uh, you know, well, it's just the same with the with Jesus mythicist. They just try to find vague associations with Jesus. And they're like, ah, we got a match. No, you don't. That the correlation is not causation. I mean, I, I could do this as well. I mean, I could find, you know, look, oh, look, you you see a storm deity in Greece and you see a storm deity in Canaan. They must have copied each other. Well, no, because Zeus is different than Baal in a lot of ways. And Zeus has also affinity with the Egyptian sun god Ra Amun, as in they're both like the head of the head of like the pantheon. Uh so you know, but he's a sun deity. So you can find correlations anywhere you look. That doesn't mean there's causation there. Yeah. Well, it's like in that documentary, he showed like all of these different places that had images of the sun in different ways. And he included the Catholic Church. And he's like, oh, so clearly they're they're worshiping the sun. That's why they moved the Sabbath <laughs> to Sunday. And it's like who everyone sees the sun and who created it? Who do we believe created it? So are we well, saying yeah. we can't use the sun anymore? <laughs> Well, it's, it's not even what it says. I mean, Justin Martyr, one of the early church fathers, said we worship on Sunday because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. It's the Lord's day. And that's probably in Scripture as well. Like the book of Revelation says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. We see right. constant reference in early Christian works to the Lord's day. And it always is reference to Sunday. Yeah, well, and that's what's like the, the people, uh, people I've run into, especially on TikTok, the Torah observant people will be like, oh, well, they moved sabbath to sunday and it's like do you know nothing about the early church they still <laughs> no. went to the temple on set on on the sabbath paul spoke in it and then they had they ate their meal together on the lord's day <laughs> yeah like, yeah and then eventually the jews prevented them from going but yeah early on they tried to do that yeah amazing um, i'm trying to find kind of a list of different things so like what are your favorite objections uh to christmas that people have brought that you have debunked because you know i have a lot of stuff in my head but it's i don't i have not thought of it in, on to the level you have and have it you know i haven't responded to everything except for mentally right. well, let's start <laughs> with the first one why was it placed on december 25th everyone brings this one up they'll say things like oh it was selected because there was a pagan holiday on that day and the christians you know when they got power under constantine <clears throat> uh they wanted to convert the pagan holidays into christian holidays now, it's a plausible inference. There's just a problem. There's no evidence really to support it. Every sort of uh, – there are no early Christian texts that state that's what the Christians wanted to do. We don't even have any evidence of a pagan holiday on December 25th before 354 AD and before Constantine. So scholars like Thomas Taley, he wrote a really good book called The Origins of the Liturgical Calendar, as well as scholars like Peter Nothaft, Thomas Schmidt, uh, Stephen Hidgmans have argued that, well, we can see evidence that uh, Christians were probably keeping Christmas on December 25th as far back as the beginning of the 200s, maybe the mid-200s, so around that time. And they did it based on their own calculations. They thought Jesus would die on the same day he was conceived. Mm -hmm. This was an early idea that prophets had to die on the same day they were conceived. Okay, Is that true? Probably not, but that was their belief. Okay, So they thought Jesus died on March 25th. Just count forward nine months, you get December 25th. That's why they were celebrating Christmas on December 25th. It had nothing to do with paganism. That's what the early works suggest. And none of them suggest paganism. And again, we don't have any evidence of a pagan holiday on December 25th prior to 354 AD. 
there's nothing in uh, the Julio-Claudian Fasti inscriptions. Pliny the Elder doesn't mention it. Columella doesn't mention it. Uh, you know, I mean, we don't we don't really see it anywhere, to be honest. Uh, what happens is in 354 AD, there's something called the Philokalian calendar. And it says on December 25th, there were 30 games ordered for the birthday of the unconquered one. And most scholars think that's a reference to the sun, Sol Invictus being worshipped on December 25th. But it's all we don't see this holiday prior to Constantine. And so what some scholars suggest is that once Christianity, you know, took over, they started celebrating their holidays, you know, Constantine converted, so they had a lot more power. Pagans placed their own holiday on December 25th to compete with the Christians who were already using that date. So that's why we start seeing it after 354 AD. We start seeing it in, you know, places like Macrobius or in places like um, the Philokalian calendar and St. Epiphanius mentions something going on in Egypt, but it all happens after Constantine. So it seems pagans actually moved a holiday or put one on that date to compete with the Christians who are already using that date. Because again, before Constantine, we have no reference to any holiday on that date. Uh, there was there. What was the whip? Did you did you were you ask going to ask a question? December twenty fifth, the shortest shortest solstice day. You use the phrase conquered one. Mm -hmm. Can you repeat that part? That yeah. So little... this is in the uh, the Philokalian calendar. Um, this is like an early calendar. It mentions uh, different holidays, different celestial events. And what it says is on December 25th, there were 30 games ordered for the birthday of the unconquered one. And most scholars mm -hmm. think this is a reference to Sol, the sun deity of Rome. What he's basically saying is that on the 25th, 30 games are going to be held in celebration of the birthday of the sun. Yeah, because that's the on on that day, the solstice which would be the winter solstice so it's the shortest one mm -hmm. um then the sun is conquered that's that reference and that's why that link is there right well it's it's the idea that they're celebrating the birthday of the sun uh they're definitely celebrating well, because, the, birthday of the sun of the fourth century well i mean that's the way i always heard it as like and, and um and i never actually heard the the conquered one phrase uh but it just fits with that being the shortest day the sun being conquered by the night and then no, no, it doesn't, every it doesn't, day after that, it doesn't say conquer one. It says unconquered. So 30 games ordered for the unconquered one. It, it does make a certain kind of sense that you would celebrate the sun on a short day, though, to let yeah, the sun but, god know. Because he's coming back. Because that's the last right. one. And after that, he's coming back. He's unconquered. Mm -hmm. it, well, it makes a certain kind of sense. I'm just going to flip-flop and pretend I was on this side the whole time. Let's move it on. <laughs> what's, what's interesting is that before Constantine, uh, there's different dates for the solstice. So the calendar of Ant Antiochus places it on the 22nd. He was like a Greek uh, astrologist. Uh, Pliny that's the because Elder. we changed the damn calendar. Like, we call it the 25th, but we're on a different calendar. We changed dates. Yeah, but I'm going on the Julian calendar. The Julian calendar does place the solstice on the 25th, but Antiochus okay. places it on the 22nd. Pliny mm -hmm. the Elder placed it on the 26th. Columella on the 23rd. So a lot of early different writers didn't agree on the solstice. They weren't really sure of the date. However, none of them mentioned any festival on that date. None of them mentioned any sort of celebrations or games being celebrated. We only get that after Constantine. Right, and so even, even though it makes sense, it doesn't correlate to Christmas because it didn't come until after Christmas well, had already been established. Think of, think of it like this. Even if there was a major holiday on that date, that doesn't mean the Christians selected it because of paganism. They're doing their mm -hmm. own calculations. Pagans have a lot of gods. They have a lot of holidays to honor those gods. 
So the Christians, what do they have to literally scour Egypt, Mesopotamia, Rome, Greece, North Africa, North gods, you know, the Celtic gods. All right, guys, we have determined that there are about 12 days of the year. There are no pagan holidays on. We'll make sure we put our holidays on those days. Just (laughs) they're doing their own calculations, regardless of what the pagans do. So even if there was a major holiday on that on on December 25th, it wouldn't matter because the Christians picked that date because of their own reasons, not because of paganism. Around that time, wasn't the church like highly persecuted and didn't they practice mostly in secret? Prior to Constantine, yes, there was something called the Diocletian persecution, which Mm -hmm. was probably the worst one since Nero. And the Christians were heavily persecuted. A lot of their sacred texts were burned. Their buildings were burned. Uh, Their property that a lot of Christians had was taken away from them, given to others. Constantine reversed some of that, which is, you know, why he was a saint. Uh, And... Uh, not as bad as you know Hollywood makes him out to be. He did some bad things, but he did some good things as well. But yeah, there was something called the Diocletian persecution that really was bad, and it was just before Constantine. He put an end to that. My question um, was because if I was forced to practice in secret, I would have my holy days on everyone else's holy days too. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, because everybody said, "What? Well, I'm buying a thing for the thing that everybody does." <laughs> <laughs> I think it does right. go to the point though that if. Uh, you swing a dead cat, you're gonna hit a pagan holiday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's probably know, actually a, a pagan holiday. Is the cat swinging? Right. Who swings dead cats? It's such a weird phrase. Pagan Sorry, I even brought it up. <laughs> um, well, one of the things that's really interesting to me, and you you brought it up a few minutes ago, is you know there were uh, pagan holidays that tried to compete with Christmas with other Christian holidays. Um, and one of the things that I found really fascinating when I was looking into not this particular topic, but when I was looking into like Krampus and all of that stuff is, you know, there, there are claims that, um, you know, Krampus, uh, was far before Christ- Christmas and it's an, it's an ancient thing and it's this ancient pagan holiday. And then I, I was watching a PBS documentary, not some esoteric thing. And uh, one of the one of the things that they said was that it was that idea was actually written by German socialists in Germany to get at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like it was specifically folklorist propaganda against Christians. Yeah, that, I mean, that's pretty accurate there. Uh, I saw on the Smithsonian's website that Krampus was originally the son of the god hell. Now, right. if you know anything about North mythology, you know that's wrong because hell was not a god. Hell was a goddess. Goddess. Yes. So you can't – so they're getting that wrong. Uh, but no, there, there's nothing in North mythology that mentions Krampus. Krampus is the devil. That, that's why he looks like medieval depictions of the devil. Uh, he just sort of came out as like a demon that St. Nicholas like captured and forced to help him. You know, he's not <laughs> anything beyond that. He's a Catholic depiction of the devil. You could say it's, it's influenced from paganism because depictions of the ancient Greek god Pan – influenced depictions of the devil but that's indirect like reference there that's not like that's not meant to be taking from paganism so that we can repurpose it no that's just a long time ago indirectly depictions of pagan deities like pan influenced depictions of the devil centuries later krampus comes out i mean what are you gonna do (laughs) well that's what's so funny to me is when i hear these arguments which i'd love to go to the next one that you have on your mind after this but um when I see these arguments, so many are stating things as well-known fact that you can very clearly find documents behind it 
proving that it was not that at all. So like Krampus in particular, you can, you, we know from history and doc and letters and documentation that it was made up by socialist folklorists. We know mm -hmm. that. And they tried to tie it into hell, which like you said, calling hell a, a, a God is wild because you know, she's Loki's daughter and she's half alive, half dead. It's a, it's a, Norse mythology is wild and kind of one of the more fun ones of all of them, if I'm being honest. Um, but we can, you can completely discredit it with a basic search. And that, that's, what's crazy about, about this. Um, but what do you, what, what's like the next big thing that comes up? Cause De December 25th, uh, we talked about trees. Um, you said that they didn't start coming around until the 1500s. I want, I want to say from what I've read, uh, was it queen Victoria who really brought them into prominence, but yeah. before they were, they were in, it was a Lutheran tradition in Germany. It was mostly a German custom. Uh, it comes out of Alsace, France, which is in France now, but it was a German region uh, about 500 years ago. Uh, and like the first um, ever mention comes from 1561, which is an Alsace ordinance declaring the uh, height you can have of a Christmas tree. Uh, we don't really have anything that goes beyond or past that. That is the earliest mention of the Christmas tree, 1561. Okay, so this is long after paganism has died out. I want to uh, know about the guy yeah. in 1560 who ruined tall Christmas <laughs> trees for everybody and what he did to instigate a law. <laughs> That's a good question. About it would be very interesting yeah. to know. But yeah, he, people were probably just getting too big of Christmas trees, uh, cutting down a lot of them, putting them in buildings that you know they couldn't really support. Who knows? But yeah, the first one is when they started limiting the size of it. So obviously it was a tradition in that region for how long? We don't know. Let's just say 60 years probably not even that long because obviously rules and regulations come in quite quick when a custom catches on. So for being a little bit more reasonable, I would say the Christmas tree before that was probably only around maybe 20 years, maybe 30 years if we're being charitable there. I mean, it wasn't that old because eventually the government's going to come in and start regulating things. So that's the first mention of the Christmas tree. Prior to that, we don't really know the origin. There are some legends, some attributed to Martin Luther, some will attribute it to a legend of St. Boniface because he was ch yeah. cutting down a sacred oak tree. Uh, and when he wasn't Thor's killed by oak. lightning. Right. Right. Yeah. When he wasn't killed at the end, uh, he pointed to the fir tree and said it's the symbol of Christ. That's a legend. We're not sure if that's accurate. Most scholars that try to like pick the most reasonable explanation will say it probably came from a Christmas or from a Christian tradition because in the Middle, e Middle Ages, they often performed Adam and Eve plays or various plays throughout the year. Because they didn't have, you know, YouTube or anything. So they did plays. On December 24th every year, they would perform an Adam and Eve play. Because that was the feast day of Adam and Eve. Now, if you're going to perform an Adam and Eve play, you need a tree to represent the paradise tree. But not a lot of trees are alive in that time, except for the fir trees. So you have one of them. They would decorate it with apples. And then they think that's just how the Christmas tree got associated with the Christmas celebration the next day. It morphed from paradise trees. An Adam and Eve place. So Christmas tree is entirely Christian in origin. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it was, what was so funny was when I was watching that documentary, which I, I can barely call it that. Um, one of the claims that he made was that we, we decorate the Christmas trees with ornaments because those are the God Tammuz's balls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, Oh boy. It's like, where do you even start with how wrong that is? Um, no, we don't. I also I mean, think it's, 
No, I, I, I was just going to say, and it, you would think that if pagans uh, worship trees and love trees, they would worship them in a way that didn't kill them and put them in their house. Like, I mean, that that's that's logical, right? That's not crazy to think, right? Like, if you really worship something and think it's sacred, you don't cut it down <laughs> and let it die, right? Am I crazy for <laughs> making that connection in my head? Who does that? I mean, if you're going to make an idol out of it, sure. But I mean, if you're worshiping the actual living thing, you probably wouldn't. Uh, pagans did have sacred groves for sure, but they were sacred groves. You know, going and cut a tree down in there would have been, you know, sacrilegious. There's a legend of St. Martin at one point who went to a sacred grove to try to cut down the sacred trees there uh, because, you know, he doesn't want the pagans worshiping them and they would have tried to stop him. But the earliest ornaments were actually apples. This is yep. what Tanya Golovich, the scholar, knows that again, connecting back to the paradise tree. To, yeah, tree of life, which is is uh, another point. Like when they they use the the they said that you can't use the sun because obviously you're worshiping the sun god. It's the same thing with with the trees or uh, like they'll they'll show the world tree, uh, Mjolnir, not Mjolnir. Um, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Uh, the world tree in Norse mythology. Mm -hmm. And they'll they'll say, oh, I've heard someone say, oh, that's what that is that we bring in is Christmas trees. It's the world tree from Norse mythology. And I'm like, are there not more important trees within our own religion that we would point to before we would be like, oh, yeah, Norse. Yeah, it's well, like Middlegrindrasser or something. Uh, Yggdrasil. That's right. Thank you. Yggdrasil. Thanks. Yeah. The, um, well, if, if, if anything, the world tree would have, been, would have been an oak because from what we can gather from early sources is that the oak was sacred to Odin and sacred in Norse, not the fir tree or pine tree. Well, and it's funny that you just mentioned two separate saints that were known for cutting trees down <laughs> in like a, against pagan peoples and pagan customs, and they were hated for it, right? Mm-hmm. Why oh, yeah, would yeah. So it's it's it? I just I don't see. It's hard for me to steel man this. Like, are you able to steel man this at all? No, because it's crazy. It's absolutely. I mean, a lot of their stuff they just sort of make up off the top of their head, uh, and they just make you know connections based on what they think is going on, but they really don't know what's going on. Like the uh, again, <laughs> right? Well, that comes from Alexander Hislop as well. They'll say the Pope's mitre comes from the worship of the ancient fish deity Dagon. Problem, uh, a lot of problems there. First of all, we don't have any depictions of Dagon because, and he wasn't a fish deity, he was a grain deity. That came about in the Middle Ages because the Jewish commentator Rashi associated him with the Hebrew word for fish, which is dog. So Dagon, dog, oh, it must be a fish deity. Well, he wasn't, he was a grain deity. And the Pope's mitre didn't come around, I think, till like the nine, 900s or so. Uh, any depictions you'll see of Dagon as a fish deity online are either depictions of Atargatis, which is a, a different goddess, or they're, they're pictures of this uh, Apkalu creature from the temple of Ninurta in Assyria. We don't have the pictures of Dagon as a fish deity. Yeah, Apkalu. We talked about Apkalu last week. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sometimes they're depicted with like a fish hatter or something like that. Fish outfit. Uh, so what is the next the next big thing? Because I'm, I'm trying to think of the dumb things I've heard. Well, Santa like I said Claus, it's will try that one. Oh, well, and what's funny about that is they go down this Santa Claus route as if that's like the – see my boy? My boy Santa. I got right here. Santa here. Got <laughs> um, but uh, they, they try to go down the Santa Claus route as if that's like seminal to the, Christ, the Christian um, – 
liturgy of Christmas. It's like what Christ, what all Christians do at Christmas. My parents never told me Santa was real. Yeah, they, 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 they didn't, they didn't lie to me and I, I figured it out pretty quick. Um, but, uh, like that in my case, and in a lot of cases of people that I knew, they didn't tell their kids that Santa was real. It's just a, a game, if anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't see how they use that as a, I don't, I don't get it. I don't They'll get say it. he's a pagan deity, right? They'll say, so if you go to like Scandinavia, uh, they don't have Santa Claus. They have Joel Apuki who is actually the name of a pagan deity. And they'll be like, ah, oh, see, Santa came from Joel Apuki or Odin or Thor. Uh, he's just a Christianized version of that. Here's the problem, is that the origin of the Joel Apuki figure as a Santa figure goes back to 1927 with a, when a radio broadcaster, Marcus Radio, took St. Nicholas legends he got from America and blended them with Joel Apuki or Finnish you know, history and basically blended St. Nicholas with paganism there. But prior to that, St. Nicholas is entirely Christian in origin, came from uh, Santa Claus, modern Santa Claus, came from Dutch immigrants in New York, brought the 1800s. Uh, they, took, they, were, they, were, they were still venerating the Catholic saint, even though they were in the Protestants at this point. Uh, they still liked the gift-giving saints. So they, they sort of rebranded him, dressed him in the traditional attire of a Dutchman from that day, which was a big red suit, and said he's a gift-giving saint. They moved him to the North Pole because at that time the North Pole was still very mysterious. And so that's where it all comes from. They sort of invented the Santa Claus legend back then. People like Thomas Nash did this. And so Santa Claus is just a Catholic saint that's been sort of Americanized, if you want to you know, yeah. put, call it what it is. That's what's going on. The, the classic Coca-Cola Santa Claus <clears throat> actually has a lot to do with a, a, pisc- a poem by an Episcopal minister. And I had to look up his name while you were talking, but it's Clement Clark Moore. Yeah, Clement and, Moore. Uh, he wrote a poem called An Account of a Visit from St. Nicholas, which is kind of what developed into Twas the Night Before Christmas. Yeah. And Clement the Coca-Cola Moore's company yeah. the Coca-Cola company took and uh ran with this and basically created what we all know and love today as Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah, they um Santa was basically the Dutch immigrants and then Coca-Cola picked it up and you know really really mm-hmm. popularized it quite well. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. that's how Santa came about. It's it's Basically, a Catholic saint, Americanized, and then you know, corporate America, you know, really started exporting it around the world. Well, I mean, and and Saint Nicholas, I mean, he has some wild stories. We talked about him last year, um, but he, there's some wild stories about him uh, raising children from being dead in pickle brine and <laughs> and and slapping Arius. Like, I mean, there there's like Santa Claus. I think would be so much more interesting if they kept in the slapping of Arius. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he probably didn't. It's not mentioned in any of the early history, but yeah, right. it's just another one of the legends about him. So, uh, yeah. Can I ask a question? Do you think it's primarily just sort of like a um, anti-Catholicism that drives this desire to cancel Christmas? Yes. Because it's it it's a strain. I, I remember reading an account from Oliver Cromwell of wanting to cancel Christmas because of these kind of things, and um, it, so it's just purely. We don't like the Catholics, and since the Catholics do this, we're going to say that it's a bad thing. That's where a lot of it comes from. Uh, wow. That's where just a lot of it comes from. I mean, that's why the Puritans were against it. They thought it was a pagan holiday because they, they considered the Catholic Church pagan. So they thought the Catholics took some sort of pagan holiday and they tried to Christianize it, but they, you know, they were vehemently anti-Catholic to begin with. Uh, but yeah, just a lot of it comes from a lot of the propaganda that people use today comes from Protestant propaganda, people trying to attack the Catholic Church. 
but it's just not accurate when you go into the actual history of Christmas. It's so, it, but, go ahead. It's it's interesting that in the country that is so like we are the place where Puritanism and Protestantism was able to sort of like spread its wings for all the better and worse parts of that. And we sort of took this Catholic saint and made it into an icon of our culture because there are people who are not even Christian who sent for who for whom Santa Claus is a near and dear figure. He's so iconic. And it's interesting that for all of the desire to crush Christmas, <laughs> they made it bigger. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, Christmas is just a fun holiday anyway. You get gifts, it's yeah. at the end of the year celebration, a lot of fun customs with it. So it's gonna thrive and keep going around. I mean, mm -hmm. despite how many legalists and Torah observant Christians out there want to destroy it, it's not gonna happen anytime soon. It's also it's also cold and <laughs> it's crappy outside. And I think that putting the lights up really has a lot to do with avoiding seasonal affected depression, whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. People didn't know that it was sad. called that, but they knew that they got sad in the wintertime. And so they started lighting candles and putting bright things up to make themselves feel better. That's my own personal theory, but we had like 10 days of rain in a row. And then everybody started putting their Christmas lights up. And I was like, this is okay. This is better. <laughs> uh, yeah. So S Santa Claus is, is, I mean, there's some girl on TikTok. I can't remember her name. She calls herself a folklorist. And I, I, I scrolled past her video today about how Santa Claus is a, a pagan God. Yeah. Uh, he's an American pagan God. And I'm like, sort of, but who's worshiping at the altar of Santa Claus? <laughs> well, MasterCard. Well, most people who get trampled in a Black Friday sale are probably sacrificed on the altar of Santa Claus. I don't know what Ooh, you want to call it. That's good, Whip. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Freaking Santa Claus. Um. Yeah. So, uh, what? What? Uh, have we covered Santa Claus sufficiently? Do you think? Mike. I think so. I mean, people will make sensationalist claims that it's a pagan deity because they want it to be more interesting than it is. Yeah. And so that's what typically happens. I don't know that it's necessarily at this point in 2022. I don't know that Santa, that that hat you're wearing is necessarily a pagan deity so much as it is just a representation of the outgrowth of commercialism mm -hmm. that has been pushed to to support the oligarchy like everything in our life is fed to us and whatever and it, like that hat is known around the world for a time to spend some fucking money and also mm -hmm. you know maybe you get to hang out with your family if you're lucky enough to live close to them who knows so i actually see it in a little bit of a different way if you don't mind sure. because its origins are the bishop's cap it to me, symbolizes how strongly Christianity has affected the bedrock of our culture. And it permeates many of the things that we do without even being aware of it. So even if they were to ban the practice, which could happen again, it was once Easy. illegal to be Christian, it could become that way again. Even hey, if who went to church banned, over in, in 2020? I couldn't go to church and be a Christian on Sunday. To just a year and a half ago, it was oh, against the law. Fair for me. enough. 
fair enough. But what I'm saying is that it it had it has affected all these little bits of the culture so much so that you could never fully pull it away. Sure. And um, I actually find that quite comforting. And, That's a good and one. It's, it's a different symbol to me, I think. <laughs> so let me let me move on to another one that I just thought of, which is mm -hmm. that kiss, kissing under the mistletoe is mm -hmm. a holdover from Roman. I think it was Roman uh, orgies where they <laughs> would have orgies wow. under the mistletoe. Is, That's an escalation. Do you, yeah. do you know of, do you, have you, have you it's dealt de with this? escalation? <laughs> yeah, there, there is no evidence that they were doing orgies under the mistletoe. <laughs> that's that's uh, mistletoe just... <laughs> to orgies in like 90 seconds. There's, there's just no ancient texts that mention this. It's just, again, made up. It's people say kissing under the mistletoe. Well, why is that's a weird custom? It's not in the Bible. Well, maybe, you know, you know we know pagans liked, you know, nature. They like things in nature and they like to do, they like kissing and sexual activities maybe if we just you know extrapolate there was these you know, sexual activities happening with the mistletoe and christians just try to you know like downplay it so much just kiss or something so that's typically where the idea comes from it's just crap uh mistletoe is a weed uh we what the only really what we know about it is that Pliny the elder tells us that the gauls uh in france the druids there if they found it on an oak any time of the year, not just at winter, but any time, it was considered sacred. They thought it could cure animal fecundity. They thought it could cure disease. That, that's basically it. So it was sacred if it was found on an oak. Okay. Fast forward, you know, hundreds of years, we start seeing mistletoe be used as a decoration in the 1600s. Robert Herrick mentions it in his poetry collection. The, the tradition of kissing under the mistletoe doesn't seem to have come about until the late 1700s. And it sent, seemed to just come from like a de novo practice or custom from the servant class in Britain. They just started doing it. Someone probably just kissed under the mistletoe and it just became a tradition. I mean, it, that's typically how these things start. Uh, de novo, basically, sometime in the late 1700s. No evidence it goes back to paganism. So kissing under the mistletoe could be a meme that's just lasted for a really long time. <laughs> basically, that's what it is, yeah. Right. <laughs> that's so are there, can you think of any of the claims that they make that you would say, Hey, they actually—they're right. This is something that was pagan, that Christians recontextualized. I thought mistletoe was tied to the Druids. Well, did the, the like, Druids I even the exist? Druids held held mistletoe like super, super. Yeah, but aren't the Druids like all kinds of tied to different plants? So again, if you swing a dead cat, you're going to hit a plant that a Druid likes. Well, also, yeah, aren't I mean, Druids like? Don't, is fair. there like nothing that we actually know about them? Like there's such little writing about what the druids did and believed and like we do we know anything about druids mm -mm, in no reality? i watched that show britannia on bbc one i know everything there is to know <laughs> i yeah. read every single captain britain comic book so i am an expert on merlin <laughs> thank you very much yeah yeah what well, were you gonna we, say the, we don't know much about the druids they didn't leave any writings behind so everything comes from secondhand sources like julius caesar wrote about him in his own personal works uh, mistletoe, again, as I mentioned, Pliny the Elder said that the mistletoe was sacred to the Druids of Gaul. They, they thought it was sacred. They found it on an oak. That was important, though. So, yeah, it was just a plant that grew, and sometimes different people thought it was sacred. But, again, the tradition of kissing on the mistletoe comes much later. And it's just they started decorating churches and buildings with mistletoe because in the winter you don't have a lot of color mistletoe can give a little bit of color so they're going to use what's available and then at some point the tradition of kissing under it came about later 
I mean, that's basically the, yep. the, the way it works. We're humans. That's what I'm we, saying about the lights. I, we like I, kissing. I, I think that's just an instinctual human thing when it starts to get dark. And I don't, I think people are reading way too much into it and saying, oh, this is pagan worship of this, that, and the other. It's like, no, bro, it's dark outside and it's sad. <laughs> and we just want to brighten the place up, chill out. Uh, one of the things that I've heard used as a uh, argument against Christmas is that gift giving itself on Christmas is pagan. Yeah, um, no. I, I can't remember the, 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 I don't know if it was a God or what, but that a God would leave uh, gifts out on the bottom of a tree. And that's where we got the, the concept of giving gifts. Have you heard this before? Yeah, it's, it's absolute crap. It's not accurate at all. So Christmas presents, so they'll say things like that. They'll say gift-giving came from Saturnalia because there was gift-giving during the festival of Saturnalia, which started on December 17th in ancient Rome. Here's what we need to remember. Okay, gift-giving is common to all human cultures. It's a common human custom. Gift-giving happens on Valentine's Day. It happens on birthdays. Kids get Easter gifts sometime. I mean, gift-giving, is you can count Halloween candy as a gift. Gift-giving happens a, a lot. There are wedding gifts, funeral gifts. I mean, like... Gifts just happen. So it's such a general custom. Can we really say that like the Christians were like, oh, let's, we really want to steal this custom from Saturnalia and <laughs> use it. I mean, maybe that's just what humans <laughs> like to do on holidays. Is that just the possibility? And we don't really see gift giving associated with Christmas until much, much later. Uh, again, it really started to get popular uh, worldwide in the 1800s. Same when St. Nicholas was getting popular as the gift giving saint. Because Chris originally uh, children would get gifts on St. Nicholas Day, which I think was December 7th or the 6th, uh, adults would exchange gifts on New Year's. And those customs just sort of just went to Christmas. We start seeing Christmas gifts go back to like Germany in like the 1600s, 16th century, I mean. So that's really when we start to see it. And it just didn't get popular until the 1800s. Uh, but yeah, I mean, gift giving just seems to have been a popular human custom that was around that time of the year anyway. And so when Christmas started to get more popular, you just started giving gifts on Christmas. Because again... It's just what humans like to do. And it haven't hasn't birthday gifts and celebrating births always come with some measure of gift giving? Like I I I I remember seeing stuff early on in history of people giving gifts on birthdays. Why wouldn't we give gifts on Jesus's birthday? Well, I mean, we could just say the custom came from the magi that brought gifts to Jesus to celebrate right. his birthday. That's exactly I mean, what so I was thinking. Why, why, why can't that be where it comes from for the Christians? Why does it have to come from Saturnalia or the North mythology? Like, it's, This is how desperate a lot of these people get. They need to find some pagan connection. So they go to gift giving and singing. It's like really you, Christians yeah. couldn't come up with that on their own. They have to steal it from pagans. That was actually the next one I was going to bring up, uh, that there were uh, the, the wassailing comes from the Anglo-Saxon phrase of wassailing. He, hail meaning good health every year wasslers would roam through their village in small groups singing loudly with the aim of banishing evil spirits and wishing good health to those around them and so saint francis took inspiration from them and started christmas caroling yeah you really i mean you really got to stretch to make that up uh, i mean like <laughs> okay I, yeah. okay here's a thought though so what but what if that is where <laughs> that it comes from <laughs> So this is what Tanya Golovich says about wassailing. The English word wassail comes from the Middle English phrase was hail, which meant be whole or be healthy. The contemporary English word hail, meaning sound, healthy or vigorous, evolved from the second word in the phrase. Medieval Britons toasted each year with the cry, West heel. The proper response was drick heel, 
which means drink wholeness or drink health. The phrase first appears in the context of 12th century document. Okay. That's the first time we hear it. This doesn't go back to paganism again. <laughs> That's what, so have you found, so you said, you know, they're so desperate to, to find these things. And that's what I found as well. Have you, have you perceived a reason as to why? I mean, besides the hating Catholics thing is because some of these people, it, it isn't about hating Catholics. It's about hating the rest of Christianity, all of Christianity outside of these specific sets. Um, I think it has something to do with just trying to find meaning where there, there really isn't sometimes. I mean, kissing under the mistletoe is just a custom. It doesn't go back to anything different. But P humans don't like that. Everything has to have happen for like a very interesting reason. Uh, so they mm -hmm. want to, they, they're like, you know, there's nothing, no Christmas trees. There's no mistletoe in the Bible. Where do these things come from? Well, they have to have come from somewhere and there had to be some sort of really important meaning behind them. So maybe they came from paganism. That's just what humans tend to do. We see something and we want to know it, it, it just, sometimes it just cannot be some de novo custom that came out of English folklore or, you know, European folk traditions. It had to have come from something more important because it would just be, it can't just be that simple, but sometimes it is. And that's what people don't want to hear. Hmm. I but, agree yeah, with that very much. I don't. I don't see a problem in a tradition that comes from a pagan culture being kept if it's not kept with the intent of communing with spirits or gods that you don't believe in, probably don't know the name of, and you know aren't. It, you, worship comes from your heart. You have to be expressing the intent there. So the idea that putting up a um, you know, plastic Christmas tree in your house with lights on it is somehow communing with ancient gods is uh, wild. That's a wild stretch. Well, let me let me ask you, because you were talking about how, you know, they, they all want these things to la have lasted for centuries and have this very important reason. And I know this is going to sound like a stupid question, but when do you think the high five was invented? If you had to guess. <laughs> I have no clue when that was invented. Uh, again, probably English folk or European folk custom. I mean, obviously uh, it's a pagan tradition, um, but in reality, <laughs> apparently the first high five was in 1977. Interesting. Gen not. Generally, generally accepted that was the first no. real high five. Isn't that? I've I've read that more than more than once, and I I mean I'm not going to say that no one slapped hands together before that moment because obviously people have been slapping their hands together since the beginning of time. But what we think of as a high five didn't come around until 1977. And so we're, I mean, it makes sense. We, and then notice I said, maybe it's a European folk tradition thinking it goes back a couple hundred years because generally the mind just wants to think it's older than it, it really is sometimes. Like it's gotta be something that's been around for a long time, but not always the case. Yeah. I mean, it, well, I think that what's funny is when you were saying that I was like, I remember that it's not as old as it, as you'd think it is. This is a this is a perfect illustration of this principle. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but here's Fact a question. Check true, Cam. Fact check true. So here's here, here's a question, uh, Mike. Um, can you worship a pagan god on accident? I would be very interested to see how that would even be possible. Uh, how do you accidentally worship a pagan deity if you're not trying to like? Like, it's like this, like, let's say like I bowed before a tree to tie my shoe, but you know, 2000 years ago, this was the very spot of some sort of ancient native American site that honored their pagan deities. Did I worship those deities? No, I'm tying my shoe. It's all about a tent. 
Um, if I were to stop and tie my shoe and then I look up and notice there's a statue of Buddha there, like I was maybe traveling through India or something, I did not accidentally worship Buddha. I just went down to tie my shoe. So we got to use some common sense here when it comes to this. People are not accidentally worshiping pagan deities, even if Christmas customs go back to paganism, because they don't mean that to us. Same with like 1 Corinthians 8. You know, just because a meat was sacrificed to idol, that doesn't mean you're actually worshiping that idol if you eat the meat. Can I ask you a maybe like a probing question into that? Say <clears throat> it goes further than that, where it is actually attached to a pagan custom, like knocking on wood, for example. I knock on wood because that's something my dad did. Um, it may originally at some point have come, in, come from a pagan custom where you were entreating the tree to bring the god to you or whatever it may have been. But that's not why I did it. It's I do it because my dad did it and he did it because his dad did it and on and on and on back. Yes, its origins are pagan, but you're not the intent, as you said, is not there. So I think even when it is, you can point at some historical pagan origin, doing the practice doesn't necessarily uh, mean you have intent toward a pagan god, which you may or may not be aware of. Yeah, I think Stephen Rhodes said it goes back to like the 17th century, though. So I don't know if it even goes back to paganism. But yeah, to you, it doesn't mean the same thing. And that's, that's important. Like you know, knocking on wood for you is just, you know, it's just a custom. It doesn't refer to anything pagan. Uh, like, but I, I don't, some of these people are so paranoid. Some of these legalists, they're, they're so paranoid that they're going to accidentally offend God by like knocking on wood or putting a present under a pine tree. Like what sort of God do you worship? that's so insecure that he actually is worried about that. Like that's ridiculous. And who's worshiping their, their Christmas tree. Like, I mean, like, like you said, intent matters. I mean, who's like, I was talking to someone not that long ago and they were like, well, you know, you're, you, if you, uh, you bow down to the tree when you get up the gifts and, all, and I, just the same thing you were talking about with, <laughs> and, and I was just like, what part of the liturgy in Catholicism, the Eastern Orthodox church in any, uh, Protestant has a specific point where we worship the tree because no, it's not no. a part of worship at all. <laughs> It's a no declaration. I mean, that's what the legalists do. They 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 jump to irrational conclusions because they okay. So I got the legalists here. If I hacky sack the present from the ground into my hand with my knee, um, I'm not technically bowing before the tree. So checkmate. (laughs) Um, we can just proceed with Christmas now and not have to worry about it. Hey, can I can can I jump in on the other side real quick because. I want to just touch on, um, Jess, I really liked your analogy of the knocking on wood um, because that would actually be an example of a carryover from um, from a past tie-in to something um, versus the, oh, I'm taking a walk and I tie my shoe and I look up and there's a Buddha, so I've inadvertently bowed. I, I don't know that uh, the, and there was another one and they both involved like, just randomly taking a walk and then tying my shoe and looking up and oh, I guess I bowed to someone that feels less like a solid analogy than what Jess presented. Um, because Jess can actually argue the intent point. Um, you know, whereas like, because you're actually doing a thing on the thing and whether you acknowledge that that piece of wood, has a spirit or energy or life force or whatever inhabiting it, despite, you know, whether or not you're acknowledging it, like that's just a more solid 
than mm-hmm. the tying my shoe. But right, but they're not. One making, thing I wanted to say was that. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, but you're right. But they're not making even that argument. What the, the argument that they're making is that by bending down and picking up a present, you are bowing to a tree. So hers <laughs> okay. is her argument is stronger that. than so theirs. Dumb. I'm sorry, that's rude. I but know, it's dumb. but that's what a guy mm-hmm. I debated called Zach Bauer. He's a Torah observer. I debated him on his channel a couple of years ago on this, and what he and the one of the things that sparked it is he said in one of his videos that if you put a present under that fir tree, you're bowing to that fir tree. And I made the point like, okay, so if I puke in a toilet, am I bowing to the toilet? And he's like, well, there's no toilet deities. Well, I found out later there are. Jack, no, Japan, there totally are, and deities. yes, you are. Yeah, <laughs> and and I mean, but here's the thing: you are actually you're both right, except he's a grammar Nazi, religious observant grammar Nazi, or whatever. You know, like okay, you're technically committing the act of bowing over, and so you can argue the intent point. So, and especially coming from someone who's a, a Torah scholar or Torah observer, no, like, he's not a scholar. Let me tell you. I mean, okay, I, <laughs> Let's I'm, not maybe throw I'm the word extrapolating a bit far, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, someone like. That's like, it seems to me, as a Baptist, that that that, that religion se- seems like it has a lot of rules that people got to pay attention to, and they really seem to like to talk about those rules a whole lot. It's almost like there was some guy who came because the, the rules were too hard for everyone to follow perfectly, so that we didn't have to follow the rules perfectly anymore. Uh-huh. <laughs> sure. So then... Before we get away from it, uh, I just wanted to touch and try to play the other side again. Um, the So if like we're talking about different gods and you're talking about like, okay, so there's like 12 days where different gods aren't being whatever. So, the, you know, they just happen to be on the same thing. And um, so if we put a present in front of a tree, then we're not, um, the intent isn't that we're worshiping the tree. However, the if gods in the ancient world as i've heard it seemed all be di- tied to different things one's a grain god one's a sun god one's a water god and there's mm-hmm. all and and all of those things are just different energy states like as our planet travels around we are subject to different energy flows from the galaxy that we are in and like within the great cycle of 20 something thousand years like those flows repeat. And so the old astrology that paid attention to that and attributed um, feast days and d- days of worship to different things, like that's where they were coming at that from, as I've heard it. So, just, yeah, like, I see what you're saying. It's like so a then, historical so like long term observance, right? Right. It's more right, just okay. like people are doing something on that day and whether or not they give a shit about the old thing, whether or not they're knocking on wood or whatever, there's still, there's still that love. There's still the family. There's still the worship, whether or not it's pointed at Yahweh or whoever, it's still, um, it's still a feeling (laughs) of worship on that communal day that would be tied to that old deity's energy signature. Yeah. My my, got off in the weeds on that. I, I I would I would not not see that as any sort of problem, even if that's the case. And that's not the case with Christmas, sure, uh, or any major holiday. But I mean, even if it is, I I would cr- treat it like First Corinthians eight, like just because maybe there this originally this piece of meat was used to 
honor a pagan deity and now it's being sold at the market that doesn't mean it's a problem just because a pagan did you know may have made this sacred for their deity in the past that doesn't mean it's wrong for you to partake with as long as you're not causing someone to stumble of course so i don't really see that as a problem because i think paul makes it very clear that just because a pagan may have done something in the past with meat or trees you name it that doesn't mean it's going to be wrong for us to do it now because mm -hmm. for us it's just meat it's not it has nothing to do with zeus or whoever it was sacrificed to right yeah i love catfish <laughs> their belief oh. in it doesn't transfer any property to the object their right, belief sure. is erroneous. It doesn't exist. The only way that it transfers anything to that object is if you believe that their gods have some sort of power. Well, I think even Jesus said that those gods all have power. They just, their power doesn't compare to his power. I mean, even he called them gods. Mm. Yeah, I use the, the word Elohim is kind of a general word uh, used yes. for spiritual beings. Um, yeah. Um, so, by the way, uh, it's bringing up First uh, Corinthians eight is such an important chapter because that's the chapter that um, any in, any in the Torah observant community ignore because I mean it's very clear that there was a Judaizing Judaizing problem going on and they were trying to it, Paul was like okay so you feel like this is wrong for you to do if you are convinced that this is wrong, that this is a sin, don't do it because if you're convinced it's a sin and you do it anyway, you are sinning. But if you're not, if you do not believe it is a sin and you do it, you are not sinning because our intent matters. And he made that very clear, but it's just wild to me, Mike, how, so like if, if you look at TikTok, Twitter, whatever, if you look at the kind of general internet zeitgeist when it comes to Christian stuff is the same freaking heresies from the first century are the, the ones that are still here gnosticism neoplatonism um and judaizing how is that a thing how is this still a thing two thousand years later <laughs> well my, my theory it is is because jesus hasn't returned uh and so christians instead of doing what jesus you know commanded you know love one another spread the gospel that's that's what you need to do uh, like, well, maybe we haven't gotten the way to worship him right. You know, it's not as clear in the New Testament, I guess. Right. Uh, I, you know, I think it's pretty, pretty freaking clear. Uh, you know, spread the gospel, love one another. You know, worship you don't in have to do and in truth. Yeah, you don't have to do Judaizing stuff. But I mean, I think some people today think that maybe the reason why Jesus hasn't returned is because maybe we're not worshiping right. We need to get the church back on the right track and become this Jewish group for some reason. Uh, and that that's just nonsense. I mean, I think first the right before it in First Corinthians seven, he says, like, was anyone at a time called uh, of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. So right then and there, Paul's telling the Gentiles, you don't have to become Jews. Okay, you're Gentile Christians. It's fine. In fact, You're don't. be okay. Exactly. Yeah. Don't. <laughs> 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 you know, there's. A, I just was at ETS and I met two uh, Messianic Jews. They're actually they're actually Jewish, not just yeah. pretending to be. Uh, they're they're actually of Jewish descent, and they get kind of annoyed with Torah observers. They said they're like, you know, it it feels like you know they're they're just like they're what they're what Gentiles are not good enough. You have to become Jewish, and so it, to them it comes a little offensive because the they keep the Torah. They think Jewish Christians should keep the Torah, but they don't think Gentile Christians should. And I perfectly agree with them. Yeah. Well, I mean, in even um, it seem it does seem that Paul may have moved away from some of the the Torah observance himself, 
in in different passages. So it's like even even so, are you? That's that's kind of the the danger of the Torah observant movement that I've noticed. I've had probably three or four people that I've known who went down that road. Um, they it, the kind of the the trajectory went uh, Torah observant, um, rejecting Paul, re rejecting Messiah, becoming Jewish, and then just re rejecting God altogether and becoming some weird hippy dippy. Uh, mm -hmm. like I don't, that's, that's what I've noticed. I don't know if you've noticed the same thing, but I've, I've, I've seen a lot of people go from Torah observance to mm -hmm. not Christians or even Jews anymore. I've seen some, not all though, like uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law don't, they still accept core doctrines like Trinity, but I've seen some Torah observers go pretty far. Like Jesus just becomes a man. He's no longer has the virgin birth. He's no longer the, uh, the, th the second person of the Trinity. He's just a Messiah figure. And that's that's scary to go down that road because that's just you're going into heresy at that point. Yep. Yeah. Well, it, I I don't know if you've noticed this on TikTok. I laugh every time I see it. There's one person who does it in particular, but there's several I've seen it. Who they they do they talk about how you have to use the correct names, which are yeah. the Hebrew names, and and what's that's what's I mean it, that's bad enough. I've responded to that enough, but they go yeah Yeshua or Yahweh. And then you have these other people who are calling instead of saying Yahweh or any kind of academically accepted pronunciation of the divine name, um, they'll say they'll say Yahuwah, and uh, the, instead of Yeshua, they'll say Yahusha. And I laugh. Every God bless time. you. <laughs> right, I laugh every time. I'm Southern. I can't do that. Yahusha. Every time I think it sounds like you're sneezing. I can't make the throat noises. I no. there's a certain dialect with that that I can't do. I can't roll my R's either. Well, here's what's really music. really stupid about that. Okay. Yeah. The New wow. Testament was written in Greek. Right. So they already transliterated uh his Aramaic name, which would be probably Yeshu or Yeshua yeah. into Greek, like Isus. Okay. Yeah. So they they didn't translate it, they transliterated it. They were trying to capture them this the way that it would have sounded, but in Greek. You know, we do it today, like like we'll take like certain words uh, that we may hear, like um I'm trying to think of a good example of something that's been transliterated. Croissant. Croissant, yeah. There's a there's a French word we just sort of transliterate it. We don't try we don't just translate it as roll. Uh we 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 transliterate it, croissant, like you know, as the way it would sound in that language. So <laughs> When we hear Jesus or Isus in the Greek New Testament, they're not translating his name. They transliterated his name the way it should sound uh, in Greek from, from uh, the Aramaic. So the New Testament, the sacred scriptures these Torah observers are going to use, already translated Jesus' name into Greek or transliterated his name into Greek. So what's the problem? Okay, the, the Bible already transliterates his name into Greek. Why do you have to go back to the Aramaic name when the Bible doesn't even do that? You know, I, uh, oh, let me just make a real quick yeah. point, then yes. Um, I, I There was a woman who made a, a TikTok video about this the other day, and I just commented. I didn't want to make a video. Didn't have the time to. Um, but she was like, you know, why am I calling – why am I calling him God, which is just a title instead of Yahweh? Because that's what we should be using is the name. And I'm like, why do I call him dad instead of Rick? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yeah, it's a good point. Like, uh, these are both acceptable things to do. It, but but you, you better be in close relationship with your dad if you want to call him by his first name. Um, <laughs> but uh, the other one, he, you know, why would why would I call him Jesus when his name was Yeshua? And I, I, I said, 
because that's how the apostles wrote his name. Right. Am I supposed to ignore what they did and listen to some 20, 21st century Torah observer? Like, what am I, what, what are you doing? Yeah, they <laughs> Go don't ahead. think. Well, they don't think. I mean, clearly it's in Greek. And, you know, even if you reject Paul's letters, which is ridiculous, the, the Greek gospels all write Jesus Christos, Jesus Christ. And then we just translate, and that just sort of like has been, you know, morphed from Greek to Latin to then, you know, Middle English now to English. So that's where it comes from. It's right. You know, there's no, there's no problem there. Okay, Jesus is not offended in heaven because we're not saying Yeshu uh, right. or Yeshua, like or like Je not... Jeho Jehovah, which the 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 Mormons use that as the the proper correct name for one of their versions of God, Jesus or God or His Father. I can't remember which it's they use Jesus, it for. Yeah. Uh, but they they use they act like Jehovah is the correct word as if it didn't go through some, some German Germanic tongues before it came out with a hard J. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if they're going to go all that, they might as well also call them L because in the, in the old Testament, God is not just called the divine name. He's also called L El Shaddai El Elyon. Yeah. So he's, he's got these other names. He's got plenty of names in the Bible. L, you know, the divine name Hashem. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. which one are you going to use? Uh, what were you going to say, Jessica? Sorry. Okay, so I, I've sort of been listening to this and wondering to myself all along, um, where do you, and I don't mean you guys specifically, but I mean just sort of in general, in context of this argument, how far do you go to meet people where they live? That you can make ideas accessible to them with their own culture. At what point are you like violating something? A unless you're outright saying a heresy, unless you're outright saying, you know, you won't say that the uh, Jesus is part of the Trinity or something like that. But otherwise, you know, like um, taking part in other people's cultures becomes the sin. It becomes the thing that you're doing wrong, essentially. Like where does where does that fit in? Because aren't we called also to like be evangelical and to spread the even e, like ev evangelion it means the good news like you want to take this good news to people so isn't that i guess that's why you have to reject paul because paul is like we're taking this thing worldwide and that wasn't good enough for some people they wanted it to remain an insular thing i guess maybe i just answered my own question <laughs> well one well, I mean, one girl have to reject matthew because matthew ends with the great commission yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that's the idea right is that you you go to people and you you meet them where they live so like i've seen um japanese christianity for example looks very different than western protestant influenced christianity whereas like christianity in the east in asia has been influenced by like antioch and thessalonica and places like that so it, it it looks very foreign and i think to a sort of like an americanized person who is spinning their wheels trying to be horror observant would look at something like that which is actually very close in some cultural ways to the early church and reject it as foreign and pagan and you know <laughs> At what point are you just sort of being a, a cultural bigot and saying, you know, that my little way of doing things, this is the box that I've shoved God into and he can't possibly be big enough 
to include somebody whose culture is quite different from mine. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or am I just rambling? No, it makes sense because Torah observers think that the only way to serve Jesus is you got to think and act like them, which is just not what the early church taught. Uh, you know, the, the what's going on in Acts 15. These are Gentile Christians. They don't have to become Jewish Christians. We, the Jewish church, can still keep the Torah and serve God, but we're not going to force them uh, to do as I, I do because Christ is saving them. They have the Holy Spirit and they don't need to do these things uh, because Christ has told us to take this to the whole world. It's very hard for missionaries to keep, you know, a kosher diet when you're traveling around the world and sure. doing all sorts of things. I mean, it'd be really, it makes, it makes it really hard to get the gospel out. And I think that's why the early church, uh, led by the Holy Spirit, didn't force this onto the Gentiles. It makes perfect sense. I, I, I'm Orthodox. So um, prostration is part of our worship throughout the year. There are different times of the year where we're prostrate. And there are icons that sit at the front of our church. When we prostrate, we're not bowing to the wood and the paint and the things that are, you know, beautifying the house of worship that we're in. The mm -hmm. prostration is a tool of humility for our minds and our hearts. It's, it's our, um, have you guys heard of the concept of the church militant versus the church triumphant? Like it's like yeah. humiliating your body and humiliating is maybe the wrong word. It, it has a negative connotation and I don't mean it to, but lowering your body <laughs> So that you can raise your spirit. And sure. I'm not, there's an icon in front of me because there's icons lining the front of the church. But when I'm prostrating, I'm not prostrating to a painting. That's that's sort of ridiculous. I don't know. But especially, that is the idea that I've heard tonight that I have found the most ridiculous and has made me bust out laughing every time I've heard it because I actually prostrate. I actually bow down in my services, which is not something that, most Protestant Americans do, as far as I understand. Mm -hmm. And so to hear something that's part of my Christian worship <laughs> being like perverted in this way, when it's such a beautiful tool for your spiritual progress, that makes me truly sad. Mm -hmm. And I hope that people won't see kneeling and prostrating as this like whatever object <laughs> happens to be in front of you is what you're giving your worship to because that's a Christmas tree. not what prostrations are. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that's my TED talk. Thank you for coming. <laughs> um, so uh, we're, we're, we're getting close to an hour and a half. Uh, so I figure we should probably start circling the wagons, ask some, some final questions and, and then move on to, for patrons to the after party. Um, but uh, so what are there any big claims that they make that we've missed in this episode? They'll try Yule logs. Uh, they like to say Yule logs go back to paganism because they'll say that, you know, it's, it has the word Yule in it, uh, therefore goes back to paganism. Problem is, is that Yule was not placed on December 25th until the Norse king, King Hakon the Good, uh, converted to Christianity and then put Yule on December 25th to coincide with Christmas. This is what Snorri Sturluson tells us. So Yule was not on December 25th prior to that, and it was placed on that date because Christmas was already on that date. But they'll say, but then you borrowed Yule logs. Well, there's no evidence there was ever any sort of thing called a Yule log associated with the North holiday of Yule. Uh, Yule logs don't show up until the 1600s, uh, and it's an English custom, not a Norse custom. Uh, we see that it, it was started to be used in Robert Herrick's poetry collection, but he calls it a Christmas log. And then later, John Aubrey refers to it as a Yule log. 
Uh, what scholars were known as Yule in English just means a midwinter period, and people were burning logs in the winter. And so there just became a midwinter log called a Yule log associated with Christmas. Again, another European folk tradition that does not go back to paganism. Uh, but yeah, nothing I can find, any major Christian, any major Christmas holiday goes back to any pagan paganism whatsoever. You know, I've noticed a common trend every time you're sort of like rebutting these ideas. It all sort of comes back to the Victorians. And it seems like we're blaming the Victorians for, we're blaming pagans for things Victorians did. So if you're going to blame someone, blame the right people. And, and well, you know, the Victorians well, I mean, can take it. I mean, Victorians popularized a lot of these things. Uh, yeah. But I mean, a lot of them were Germanic or your English customs prior to that. They just started getting popular around then. Um, it, was there anything else in the in the way of Christmas, or do we? I, I can't it at all. I can't think of anything. I think we got most of it all. Uh, I mean, you want any more? I have a video called "Top Ten Christmas Traditions and Their Origin Stories," where I cover uh, basically everything we talked about and, and just give all the sources there. Awesome. Um, Can you, you put a link to that in the thingy? Well, I have a link to his YouTube. Mm -hmm. I also Thanks. wanted to say, I didn't want to um, interrupt the uh, topic at hand, but since we're coming to the end, um, before I was beginning to teach my Sunday school class for the first time this year, I became a Sunday school teacher, and the topic was um, Genesis. And um, I used quite a few of your videos oh, cool. to um, give me a lot of context that I don't have as a 21st century American. And I found them very edifying. And I definitely appreciated meeting you because I actually was a big fan before uh, I had the opportunity for this encounter, which I jumped on. So thank you. For <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Do I whip? Do you have any? Oh, here's a question. Um, whip uh, brought up last night pine cones. And I don't remember what it was Jim Staley said about pine, pine cones, but something uh, about them being. Pagan. Third eye pine cone worship, and then the giant pine cone in the Catholic Church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's again, it's just utter, utter nonsense. I can find no evidence that this stuff goes back to paganism. I mean, just because it looks like a pine cone, that doesn't mean it is a pine cone. People need to actually show sources. People don't have sources, they just make connections based on what they think is there. Well, yeah. I actually had a problem with his interpretation of that because the pine cone was just supposed to represent the opening of the third eye chakra, whatever one that's called. It's this one here, the pineal gland. Um, and when that by fluoride and calcified, it looks eerily like uh, the pine cone that is then again represented a lot uh, in old thingies and it's like right here it's like right where it would be and that's what that's how i've heard it referenced uh hmm. in reference to the vatican that's what it's there for i've not heard that at all that uh, i i i doubt it because they're not into chakras um, well uh, maybe <laughs> i don't know i've never been in that library <laughs> um i have oh, our wait our... there's a giant pine cone statue that decorates the vat the wall of the vatican that's what i'm talking and about as we know pine cones outside of your house is the international symbol of no that's swingers. pineapple that's oh pineapple. it's the pineapple never yeah, mind the, the pope's also, not a swinger that one goes back to <laughs> 
I thought we uncovered some wild things tonight, but <laughs> I had my pines mixed up. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, we have I have one our big big question for you at the end, uh, but I did want to bring up two little things that I made notes on from that documentary um, because I laughed my butt off when I heard them. Um, one was he, he said, and I quote. I only know because he was talking about Santa coming through the chimney and through the fireplace. And he said, I only know of one God that goes through fire and that's Satan himself. <laughs> and I go, wait, wait, wait. What about the God who spoke through fire in a burning bush to Moses or maybe led through his, Shek his Shekinah glory through the wilderness as a pillar of fire? Or I don't know, the, the, the gift of the spirit coming on as tongues of fire. What are you talking about, Jim? I just laughed because I was like, that's the dumbest thing the I've ever heard. The transfiguration, the harrowing of hell. There's a bunch I could bring up, too. Yeah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, so many. have. I just, it was so dumb. And then the final thing is he he told he told everyone that they should be celebrating Hanukkah because Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. And uh, he made a whole thing. Which is funny because a lot of times I don't know if he's Torah observant. He did say Yeshua he, a few times. He is a big Torah observer. That's his one of his big shticks. Um, yeah, I'm not. It's, that's what's what what sort of got him on this whole thing. I'm definitely not convinced of that. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> that's his hit big thing. He's like, we should all be keeping the Torah, and I'm like, okay, Jim, whatever. But like, here's here's my question. Because a lot of a lot of the times he didn't say this, but a lot of times they'll say that you shouldn't celebrate Christmas because it was not a holiday instituted by the command of God, and those are the ones we are supposed to keep, right? Mm -hmm. They say that a lot. But uh, does and it then, say specifically you can't celebrate any other holidays? No, it well, just then, the tells you holidays to keep. But that's the thing. But that's the claim that they make. And then, so I'm I'm just wondering: Are you consistent like a Jehovah's Witness, and you're not celebrating birthdays? Um, why are you celebrating Hanukkah? I mean, that was not commanded. Like, I don't, where, it just seems like the Torah observance is like, it's not even strong Torah observance <laughs> based on their de definitions. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, you could argue the, the festival Purim came from some sort of ancient Persian festival. Uh, well, not a festival, but an act of casting lots. And they just sort of took that because that's the time when the lots were cast in their favor as the basis of another holiday they created. Uh, and so that they're they, they're taking something that originally had some sort of pagan meaning. They built a whole Jewish festival called Purim. Purim, or I forget how to pronounce it. I always pronounce it wrong. I think I think I've heard per, uh, Purim, but I don't know. Yeah. They, I, I, I everyone pronounces everything wrong in the Bible. I feel like, especially uh, people probably. who say y Yahusha. Um, <laughs> God bless you. So, <laughs> God bless you. But my final question is the one we ask everyone, um, because when this show changed from what it was to what it is. Uh, we, I decided, uh, Jessica and I decided actually that we needed to push the um, push hope because there were a lot of people during the last two years that have not had any, have not felt like they've had any and have been deeply depressed. And so one of the things that uh, we I ask every guest at the end is um, what's something right now, it could be personal, local, global, whatever, any level, what's something right now that gives you hope and gives you the motivation to carry on, the silver lining? to share with people well i mean i think one of the big best things of course is the fact that it you know christmas is celebrating the, the nativity the what's more important there is why christmas we have it and that's the nativity that christ came into this world 
And people don't realize is that I, I have argued in one of my videos that this is Christ ending the exile, not the Babylonian exile, but the, the exile from Eden, because this is the first time yeah. God is actually dwelling with humans face to face as he wanted to, uh, and not having to have any sort of special purity rituals to sort of, or humans had to sort of do to come into his presence. And now humans can be with God the way he's always wanted to be. And that's what's so amazing about Christmas and why it should be celebrated. Wonderful answer. That's lovely. That's beautiful. I, I have, yeah. I, I want to say so much, but I won't, I, I will let you go. Um, but before, before you go, I do want to make sure everyone knows uh, where to find you um, on, uh, you, they can of course go to your website, uh, inspiringphilosophy.org. Uh, you're on Twitter at inspiring phylos, um, mm -hmm. you, youtube.com slash inspiring philosophy. And if you want to find him on TikTok or anywhere else, just type in, the two words inspiring philosophy and smash those things together uh basically it right there yeah <laughs> anything you else you wanna... inspiring philos yes on twitter, on twitter? yeah mm -hmm. i'm gonna grab them right on man um anything else you want to share with the audience before i i let you go nope uh you can follow me on instagram or facebook as well some there as awesome. well but yeah that's what i do it was a real pleasure yes yeah, thank you so it. much nice. for super coming nice on to meet you mike thank yeah, you nice coming, man. Too. yeah <laughs> thanks merry christmas see you later see merry christmas all right so we are going in a minute we're going to shift to the the patrons only feed and so if you're watching on the regular youtube we'll see you in a little we'll see you later um but the re the rest of you will see you we'll keep seeing you so that's exciting um but before before we do that i do want to let you know what's coming up um next week we're going to do our christmas show uh which is going to be purely a a joyous occasion of me talking to my mom and jessica uh it's going to be a good Mama one list. she's the best god bless uh, <laughs> god bless cindy uh yeah so we're, we're going to do that i'm going to talk her into reading the christmas book that she always read to to us when when we were kids i don't know if i've made her do that before but i think I i'm going to make her do so. that i'm going to get all cozy for that i'm gonna bring a blankie and some hot chocolate i think they made die hard a book yeah that's <laughs> great and my mom does the voice of hans gruber perfectly awesome. oh sweet um but uh so that's what's that's what's next week and after that we're gonna have our new year's party and i'll let you know what that entails very soon that'll be the the, the week after that um let me see what else uh if you want to to <laughs> if you want to find whip on twitter you've got a um you, you gotta find him again because uh elon didn't want him on the platform uh so you're gonna have to find him uh, what's it uh whipping spork? whipping spork is the uh, the one i've yeah whipping spork and then <laughs> in like six days i'll be back on real whip spoon so yeah so just go ahead and nab his back up that way you don't miss a uh a chance at seeing Ammons. I am one of the funniest accounts on Twitter that has never <laughs> made it to a thousand. I am verifiably one of the funniest accounts you've never followed. It's it's true. It's true. Um, yeah. And if you want to follow Jessica, I'm going to give you both of hers as well. Um, if you want to hmm. find her regular account, that's at Soup Canarchist. Yes. And if she gets kicked off again, which she does occasionally for which she just did. For, more frequently now that Elon somehow that elon has taken over i've gotten in more trouble apparently yeah because Dude, we're gonna get into that in the patreon she All she right. says yeah we'll we'll wait for that um 
And then for me, I have a list of things. If you'd like to continue this conversation, you can join the Patreon at patreon.com slash themadones. Uh, if you want a t-shirt or a mug, you can go to wearethemadones.com slash store. You can find all of the different iterations of the things that I make there. Um, but if you want something for Christmas, you can go to wearethemadones.com slash Christmas. If you want a to join the Black Tank Club that me and Brad Binkley have started, you can go to blacktankclub.com. And if you want to support our our bid for the presidency, you can go to binkleyharless2024.com. That's right. Um, but if you're watching, uh, well, I'm on I'm on Twitter at Ham Carlos because Elon still hasn't given me my account back. Um, but uh, Elon, 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 Elon. Uh, but if you're watching and you'd rather listen, so you don't have to see my stupid face, uh, you can go to any podcatcher, your favorite podcatcher, and do it there. Or wearethemadones.com. Um, if you are listening and you're like, man. I think Whip's probably super handsome and I have no idea what he looks like. You can go to youtube.com slash the mad ones, or you can catch it on Rockfin or uh, rumble. I'm on, on both of those. Uh, but that is, that's all I've got for you till we, till we mo move over to uh, our, our after party. So as always, dear friends and compatriots, you have a chance to be a light in the world. So go light it up.